0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: And that's where the star comes in. So what I'd like you to maybe just think about in your own life is your own sincere desire to worship. Will you and me pay the price to affect our schedules, affect our life enough to so change it that we will do what we need to do to be able to really worship the Lord? And so as I looked at this and I wrote my own notes, my own notes simply is this. I can make the excuse I can worship the Lord inside, outside, alongside. But I, I kind of throw it into a, a 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there. When I think about it over there, an hour here on Sunday... I want to now go much further than that. I want to look at my calendar to make sure that I have not allowed the good things in this life, because hopefully we are good people, so we put in good things in our life to crowd out the greatest thing we should be doing, which is worship. So in some measure, are we willing to change our life, go where we need to go, be what we need to be, do what we need to do, to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice, because of this deep, sincere desire that we want to worship Him, and we will not allow events to crowd it out. We're not going to allow other things to keep us from a concentrated time of worship. All right, just think about that. Number two, we need to develop what I call an expectant spirit. Notice where it says here, the Magi's were asking. I wish you you could understand a little bit of the Greek. I just I just discovered this as I did this study this week. They were so desirous to know where is this baby going to be that they'd seen, you know, with the star, that they asked everybody in Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem was a huge city, especially around feast time, so they were asking everybody they could, where is this Jesus? Did anybody know about this baby? We saw this star. It's kind of in this direction. Anybody heard about it? And so word got back to Herod, and along with his chief priests, and they said, oh, yeah, we know about this, babe. We know about when he was supposed to be born. We also know he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem is just a few miles just down the road from here. That's where he is. Herod didn't go then. The chief priests and the scribes didn't go then. These men then heard that message, and so they went to go see him. So I look at this, and they went with a real expectant spirit. In other words, okay, that's where they're supposed to be. We're going to find him here. Now there's a lot to be said about the star, because that star keeps showing up in this passage, so maybe I need to speak to that, because some of you are a little bit more into science, and you're wondering, how, did, did, did God have a special star, and what really went on? And, and there's a lot of study today about people trying to go all the way back to that period of time, and they try to say, well, that was two years before the birth of Christ, a year after the birth of Christ, B.C., eight. you know, how did they do, and they, they seem to come from that the following information. They'll say that there was Jupiter was at a particular place in the celestials that it became very, very bright, like we can see Jupiter very bright certain times of the year. Then they said, no, there was also a coming together of Jupiter and Saturn, one of those freaky times when the planets kind of line up. And so all of a sudden at night, these two planets were now reflecting this tremendous sun and light, and it became so bright that it appeared to be a star. And so these planets now became a star. Others were saying, well, it had to be a particular star that at that time was a supernova, and that supernova existed. Usually, they don't exist very long. Others are saying it was a wayward comet that kind of swept near planet Earth at the time, and so they'll do a, a thought about the comets, and they'll look in secular writings at the time, and yes, you'll find some statements about some unusual things happening in the celestial, and the heavenlies, etc. Now I don't want to poke holes in that, and I'm certainly not a scientist to say that they're all wrong. My personal opinion is, and um, on my journey, I'm here. I believe that this was a very special star-like created thing by God that was an incredible bright light. And how I arrived at that is, it seems like when the Lord wanted to have his people move or he wanted to lead his people someplace, he always did it by a pillar of cloud by day, and fire by night. And if you do this whole study through Scripture, you're going to see this movement of light when things happen. So I believe it is quite possible that this was a very unique Shekinah glory of the Lord that was shining in a location where Jesus was, as a symbol of the person of Jesus and his birth. And so when they saw him in the east, they didn't see the star, that the star was in the east. These guys came from the east, so while they were in the east, they saw the star. So they moved from the east on over to where Bethlehem following the star. And as you read through the context of this story, you're going to find that this star seemed to move. Well, I know that meteors move, but they kind of move in one direction and then it's over. This seemed to move about and stop in one place and stay there. So this was a very mystical, specially created, starish kind of thing that we can only define it as a star by God. Now, to me, that sounds like, Boy, Stan, you are really way out on a limb on this. I I know I am, and I'm probably by myself, and I'm now starting to saw my limb. I get that. But this is where I am, because I do believe that this was a very supernatural occasion of Christ being born, and there had to be an identification, and they used the star as their communication tool. So again, there was an expectancy that went on. So I guess the only question I would say is, When you go to your quiet time, whether you're using the Word of God and combining with your worship, so you're reading Scripture, you're praying, you're worshiping all at the same time, are you doing it out of some kind of a, oh, I don't know, an obligation because you signed a pact at the beginning of the year that you'd read through the Bible in a year? Or you're following some little devotional and has day one, day two, day three? Or are you coming to this, and those are all mechanical ways that are helpful, but you're not doing it because... You've got to fulfill an obligation. You're coming because you are expecting an intimate time with the Lord, that everything else doesn't matter but that moment that you're going to have with Him, to ascribe to Him His worth-ship. And from that, you're going to experience, again, the revelation of His Word, of the greatness of God in your life, and that no matter what happens, you know, again, He is large and in charge. And don't go away with the clichés, but do go away with the theology, and that He loves you. So there's that expectant spirit. So when you open your Bible, if you don't expect to get something out of it, you're likely not to get very much out of it. Yeah, you finished your little Bible reading. You can check that off on your little calendar. But did you really meet God? Did you really have that intimate experience with the Lord that fuels you for a moment-by-moment lifestyle? All right, number three. The next thing they did is they expressed joy. Now, I'm going to need to skip over some of those verses there. We've read them. They're very much part of the story. But I'd like you to drop down, if you will, to verse 10. So now they come over to the place where the child was. And they said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, some of us might say, ooh, they were so excited about seeing the star. I think what they're excited about is what the star represented was when the star came together, it stopped at a location in Bethlehem where they wanted to be, because that's where they were told the baby would be born there. They wanted to see the baby. So really, it's not so much the star, it's what the star did for them in bringing them to Jesus. Now, that being said, they still had this wonderful joy. Now, again, notice the words. If you have your Bible, you might want to circle them. It says they rejoiced. Then it said they rejoiced exceedingly. And then it said they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Sometimes it seems like Christians, they they look like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. You know, they think the more more somber I get, the more spiritual I must be. Well, that's not the case. You know, if you'll know that when we have Jesus in our life and he's living his life out through us and we're clean and close to him, he says that with him we have exceedingly great joy. And this is what it's all about. So my question is, are you excited about Jesus? Watch this now. Be be ready. I'm going to step on a toe. Are you angry at Jesus? Maybe you're smart enough to know that he's large and in charge. You got all of that, and now you're mad at him because he is, because he's allowed certain things to come into your life. Or maybe he's taken things out of your life, and for days, weeks, months, years, decades, you you have an infection of anger toward him. And so it's very hard for you to have joy. Or maybe your joy is wrapped up around this, that God is like, or Jesus is like, a heavenly Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle. And it's okay, I'm rubbing the genie, I'm doing what I can, I'm sending my letters to my heavenly Santa over here, and uh, it's, that's what I do, that's what I'm supposed to do. And when he answers my request the way I want it, he gives me what I want, like rubbing the bottle for the genie to pop out, then I have exceedingly joy. Instead of just saying, you know what, my joy just comes from him being him. I'm full of joy because he is who he is. My joy comes from because he loves me the way I am, even when I blow it. I love him because he expresses his grace to me in so many different ways. I'm so grateful for his mercy because I don't deserve anything. And I certainly deserve a lot worse than what I get. I just want to thank the Lord that he is who he is. And I'm not going to try to compartmentalize him in certain areas And this takes a very big man, a very, very big woman, a very mature person to simply say, Lord, you have the right to do anything with my life because you bought me on the cross. And so now I have all that joy, so I can have that exceedingly, that exceeding joy. So now it's not so much about the star, but it is about the things that might bring us to the star, to Jesus. Let's look at number four, though, and that is that we need to decide to humble ourselves. Go into the rest of verse 11, and here's what you read. It says, After coming into the house, again, that's letting you know they're out of the stable now, they're in a house, they saw the child with Mary. I don't want to make a big mountain out of a molehill here, but I do think it's important that you're shifting now from the emphasis being Mary to now child comes before Mary throughout the passages of the New Testament. So what is happening now, it's all about Jesus. It's not all about Jesus and Mary. It's not all about Mary and Jesus comes along for the ride. It's all about Jesus. So saw the child with Mary indicating again she was a good mother taking care of the child. And then it says, and they fell to the ground. That's where you get the prostrate where they're laying down. And then they worshipped him completely. And that's a humbling experience. May I ask you a personal question? When was the last time, just For the fun of it, that you actually knelt and prayed to the Lord? When did you really kneel? Just just kneel. Okay, now, if you did, why did you do that? Was it because you were in a crisis and you really felt that uh, if you really humbled yourself then God will do it more, so you kind of were beating yourself up by kneeling, showing more humility, therefore God will do more for me, so you're kind of doing it as a manipulation. Or maybe it was because some great spiritual mentor in your life you read that they knelt and you think, ooh, that's kind of cool. I'm going to be like them and I'll do it. Or when did you kneel because you felt like, I am so unworthy and worthy as the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and I, I, I can't stand in his presence. I mean, he is so great and I'm so nothing, so I'll kneel. And when you got on your knees, you started realizing, I'm really nothing, 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 and you laid down. Now, I am not telling you that this is how you have to do it outwardly. That's what these men did. I don't know their motives directly. I can only guess what they are from what I'm reading in Scripture. But I think I'm pretty right on when I can at least say these guys humble themselves before the Lord. I think they humble themselves even when they got into Jerusalem and they said, we don't know where this kid is. Anybody know? How often do you ever see a man asking for directions? All right. So they humble themselves. So there was a humility about them. And I know we have the the mental, I should be humble, I am humble, I see myself as humble, but are we really humble? That's my question. Is this humility really before him? So just take a moment and take in the fact of humbling ourselves before the Lord. And number five, they did something else here. This is what seems to be said most. You don't hear a lot about them kneeling and all of that stuff, but it says, then they opened their treasures, which basically meant that they kept it in a safe place, meaning these were things of value, so treasury, and they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't have time to unpack those three other than you might want to know this. The gold was probably worth more than the frankincense, and the frankincense was worth more than the myrrh. And all that is saying is that whatever they had, the best that they had, they wanted to give it to the Lord. Now, here's the question. Most preachers will jump on this and say, Hey, it's the end of the year. They gave gifts. Why don't you give a gift to the church? That'd be nice, but that's really not what this is saying. So if I take it to the New Testament, if I'm going to worship him, I have to then find, how do I worship him with a gift? What do I give Jesus? What do I give to him? What does he want from me if I'm going to worship him? Very simple. Those of you that have been with us on our journey through Romans, we learned right off in chapter 12, he says this, that we present our bodies, a living sacrifice, present like a gift, present once and for all our life, who we are. We present a clean heart. We give him ourself. And we're basically saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to be, I am here to bring glory and honor to you. And the best way I can figure all that out is I want you to be the Lord of my life as a Christian and I'm going to find out what you want me to do with my life by applying your word to my life. Now, that's the greatest gift that you can give him. So it's not that you have to give him your most expensive automobile, you've got to dump all of your finances and investments. It just means that you're going to give all of yourself to Him. You're presenting yourself to Him. It may come with some money. It may come with some time. It may come with using the talents and abilities that God already gave you anyway, and the money that He already gave you anyway. doesn't really matter, but that's coming with you. But God is not wanting you to give all this other stuff to Him while you still keep back your heart. He wants that which is the most important, which is all of us to Him. So maybe your worship right now, you might ask yourself is, In your time of worship, while you're worshiping, watch, then, not before, don't come, you come worship. When you're worshiping, then say, all right, Lord, I want to give you a gift, and out of the treasuries of what you've given to me, what am I holding back? What can I give to you? And so the Holy Spirit will speak to you to know what we're holding back and what we're not, where we should give it, how it will bring the most glory to the Lord, who has the greatest need. How can I touch another life, but I'm willing to give this? And so we're talking about giving ourselves to the Lord. Maybe for some of us, even more than that. It's actually giving our life up for the Lord. All right, let's go to the um, last one, and that is, um, it ends with an obedient response. It says, after they did all of this, it says, and having been warned by God in a dream, God must have really had quite a relationship with these magi. Because he communicated to him beforehand, he put a star in front of them, and now he gave them a dream not to return to Herod, that diabolical, egomaniac, murderous barbarian. Don't return to him. So the Magi, they left for their own country, but they went another way. So I guess my question to you is, what is God prompting you to do? Where is God prompting you to go? Where do you need to go and take that same message back? I know the shepherds, they left praising the Lord after they saw Jesus. Scripture said that in Luke 2. So they went and told everybody about who they saw. Here it doesn't say that. But based on what the shepherds did earlier, I could only imagine that when you you see something so great after you've done so much to get there, you worked all that you needed to get. You expected to see Jesus, a supernatural star, moved all about the sky over a period of time and then stopped where you needed to go. You really saw Jesus, the king of the Jews, all right? And you worshiped him. And now you're told, don't go by back to, to Herod. And you're now listening. All of a sudden, you must really believe this is really truth. And I'm hearing it. I better not. This is all working together. I don't want to mess this thing up. So you're going to go back and not tell anybody? Does that make any logical sense to you? I could only think they got to go do something with this and get so excited. Look where we've been. It's all true. We found him, and he was really there. So what we experienced, what we heard, this is real. You guys need to know Jesus, the Messiah. And again, they didn't have all the facts yet, but whatever they had, they had to point them to Jesus Christ. Well, don't be too much in the dark because now we do have all the facts that God wants us to have in this book right here called the Bible. And so everything that God wants us to know and there's enough of it right here, so he doesn't have to give us new news. There's enough of this news that we're still trying to discover and understand and so here's what you do need to know that Jesus Christ is the Lord, He is God, and he says to us that we're all sinners, and he said, "But that's okay, I love you, and that's also okay because I'm grace that's my that's who I am, that's my character, grace, I'm also mercy, and I'm going to dump all that on you because I love you." But your sin has so much marred you, poisoned you, condemned you forever into a horrible place called hell, and there's a problem there. So "So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come as a little baby and I'm going to grow up and live my life and do some teaching. But I'm also going to go to the cross like I said I would. And then I'm going to die up there because when I die up there, I'm not just starting a new religion called Christianity, but what I'm doing when I'm dying, I'm taking all your sin on myself. Because I've showed you in the Old Testament that without the shedding of blood there's no remission for sin and the life of the flesh is in the blood and my blood's got to be shed for you and I have to be the sacrifice, I'm the human lamb that those Jews were slaying in the Old Testament as an illustration. So he says I'm doing that for you on the cross and so now I'm only asking that you would receive my forgiveness and if you want to receive it you've got to believe that I love you and I And Jesus, who is Lord, who died and rose again. So without your works, don't come to me trying to be all good and do a lot of good deeds. Don't try to butter me up. I don't need to be buttered up. I'd rather have you come to me and say, I'm desperately lost and I need you, Jesus, as my Savior. He said, now that's the kind of guy I want to save. Because he's the most authentic. He finally came to the point that he's totally broken. And if we place our faith alone in Jesus Christ, on the authority of God's word, you will have everlasting life. This Jesus that is so true grew up and he really did die and he really did come back to life and he really resurrected and he really ascended. He really loves you. And I pray you'll trust Christ to save you. That, that, that is your first act of worship. Let's pray, shall we? With every hip bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I want to give you a moment right now for you to worship the Lord. Those of you who are hearing my voice that have never placed their faith alone in Christ, believing that Jesus is God, never fully understanding that Jesus died on a cross, we, we we hear that. We might even accept that as some historical truth and might even be blown away by the fact that he resurrected again. That's hard to believe, but there's enough truth there to accept that. But now what you need to do is to say that's enough. That's all you need to do is to trust him. Yes, you ought to be good. We all ought to be good. We ought to do religious things. We ought to worship Him. I get all of that. But He wants us to start in our heart. And that's why we have to believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And then in our heart, and our mind, it's an inside job. We confess Jesus as our Savior now. We place our faith alone in Him and come not by works of righteousness, but by His grace. And I'm telling you, when you do that, the angels in heaven, it says, are rejoicing. It makes Jesus' death worthwhile to you. You become a child of God. You have a home in heaven. You have all the blessings and the privileges of being a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, so to speak, and so much more. Would you do that? Now, I'd like to pray for you. Now, I'm not going to have you come forward or stand up or do anything in any way because becoming a Christian is a faith thing. You're placing your faith in Christ, and it's a private thing. I'm only praying for you because you've already trusted Christ as your Savior right now by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm trusted in you as the one who died and rose again. And I believe now my sins are forgiven. I have a home in heaven. I know if I sin afterwards, I'll be disciplined, but I'm so grateful that you'll never kick me out of your family because you sealed the deal with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for it. Now, if you're trusting Christ in here today, and today was the day that you really called upon the Lord to be your Savior, I'd like to pray for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. And when you do, I'm only going to say thank you or God bless you. That's it. And when I pray for you, I won't describe you in my prayer. I won't come to you. No one will know that you trusted Christ other than you, the Lord, and me. Right now, I'm not going to tell folks that. That's something you can celebrate and do. So is there anyone in here that's ready to place their faith in Christ as the one who forgives them of all sin? And your first act of worship is you coming to Jesus. Your star was this message. and Now you're coming to Christ. And in your heart, you're humbling yourself before Him by saying, it's not me that can get into heaven. I'm so lost, but it's all of you. So if you're trusting Christ as your Savior, heads bowed, eyes closed, would you put up your hand right now if today is the day you're trusting Christ? Is or anyone at all? Anyway. All right, Christians, take a moment now while I'm praying, and I'd like for you to really set aside in your mind a particular um, experience of worship that you want to now have as you move forward with a new year a new opportunity even here at this church. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have so much communicated to us your word that each one of these events come with so much power-packed information that does not contradict what you're saying, but it just adds volumes of horsepower to this for us to really understand it. So Father, I thank you for these wise men who are now long gone that are nothing more than identified as magi in scripture and now written about in Christmas carols and painted on Christmas cards. But now, Father, these were real people that followed a star that fell down in a house in front of Jesus, you, and worshipped you and got up and obeyed God. May we be like them, Lord, because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.